In preparation for this series, I Googled the most influential people in the history of humanity. I went scrolling to see where Jesus might be on that list. And sure enough, wouldn't you know it, at the very top of Time Magazine's list of most influential people is none other than Jesus Christ. Have you ever wondered how he actually did it? I mean, think about it. No one here today can deny the influence and impact of Jesus, even if you're not sure what you believe. Check it out. We can't even write today's date without acknowledging the influence that Jesus Christ has had on humanity. How did he do it? I mean, when you stop to think about it, Jesus came from a poduck town. He came from parents who were poor peasants. He never ran for office. He didn't have thousands of Facebook friends or Instagram followers. He was an itinerant preacher, a homeless preacher. And yet here we are two millennium later, still talking about the impact and the influence of Jesus Christ. How did he do it? Well, check it out, church. This summer, I've been sinking deep into the gospels of Jesus Christ. And I think I have found exactly how he has done it. Jesus was able to impact one person at a time. The crowds would come up to him always. And if someone had a need, it's as if everybody else blurred out around him and he got high definition focus on that one person. That's how Jesus changed the world. That is the gospel message. And that is the message for our church during this series. Whenever you look at the masses, all the cars, all the people that you encounter and I encounter, Jesus's secret to the most influential person of all time was that everything else fell by the wayside, everybody else got blurry, and the person in front of him was his undivided attention and focus. Come on, New Hope. Welcome to One at a Time. What up, church? So glad you're here today. Welcome. Um, I'm just gonna go ahead and admit to you that I'm still kind of just sinking into that lyric we just sang. Did you catch it? Just rocked me. I'm not enough unless you meet us here. You need to know that's, there's ever been a lyric that has defined me um, and how I have felt leading this church for 20 years. <laughs> I'm not enough, Lord, I'm not enough. Can we just thank those who usher us into the presence of God every week in worship? These guys back here, camera, they're all over the place. They're all over their place. They're, they're probably hanging from rafters for all I know. It's actually remarkable. I uh, just wanna also say, I think it is stinking cool that now at this particular worship celebration, we, we got the young adults. Y'all have been here for a while. Young adults right here. You guys are awesome. We're so stinking proud of y'all. But now, now we got the students over here. What you talking about? Oh, oh, I'm, hey, I'm just saying, y'all might need to pick up your game a little bit. Just saying. Nah, just kidding. Whew. 
So you, you, you heard that video that, that I shot from the parking lot of Target. I know you ladies think that y'all think the Holy Spirit just dwells at Target. I understand, I understand. I, we're like, where can we go where there's a lot of people? So we went to Target. I, I've been reading in the Gospels this summer and, and what I've been struck with is how, how incredibly cool it is that two things were always happening around the life of Jesus. The crowds just flocked to Jesus and yet, Whenever there was a person who had a need, Jesus had this uncanny ability to, to let everything else fall by the wayside, everyone else blur out, if you will, and he would lock in on the individual who had a need. See, I needed to read that this summer because like, I like crowds. I'm just gonna say, I like crowds, right? I'm that guy. I love, I love football games. I love basketball games. I love crowded church. I think God wants his church to grow. I like crowds, but Jesus, Jesus had crowds around him, but he never let the crowds keep him from locking in to the individual. I wanna talk to you today about the power of Zoom lens. The power of Zoom lens, and I was... I was hoping you would be here. You're always here to my right. Can, can I, you, dude, you got two cameras. Can I borrow one? Can I, can, would y'all get up for John L? John, th this guy, by the way, just had a baby. He just had a baby three months ago. Dude, this thing is heavy. This is legit. This is not just a zoom lens. This is a camera too, of course. But here's the zoom lens. And, and it kind of works for me as I've been thinking about it this summer. Here's what Jesus would do. He would, he would be in the crowds. They always came to him. He couldn't get away from them. Every now and then he would, he would slip away and get in a boat and go by himself. You know what it's like, right? You've been there. Oh. But, but they would always find him. They're like, Jesus, hey, you got in the boat. Then they'd get in boats and they'd go find him. And he always had crowds around him, but there were always individual needs. And what he would always do and this is your assignment. I know I give you sometimes application or assignment at the end of the message. Jot this down. Here's your assignment or place it in memory. This, this next month in August, read all the gospels if you can, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, or at least one of them, and pay attention to this. It's absolutely fascinating. He would be in the crowds, but whenever someone rose up with a need, like a zoom lens, he would zoom in on them and everything else would get blurry. Everything else would just, he'd crop everything else out except the individual. Now, what do you do when you look at a picture? Especially if it's a picture you're in it, what do you do? You're the first mug you look at. I'm the same way, we look at a picture and we zoom in on ourselves, right? We know we do, how do I look? You know, do I need to take another one? Jesus always zoomed in on the other person. And the reason this is important is because this plays into, by the way, your joy, your contentment, your happiness or lack thereof in life. In other words, Jesus taught us that if you're truly going to be happy, don't get caught up in a selfie lens. Don't get caught up in self, the, the little shrunken kingdom of me, but instead let me be on the throne of your life and focus on people. There was this leading psychologist. His name is Martin Seligman, and he is the leading psychologist, world's expert on happiness. That seems like a heavy burden to bear, don't you think? What a title. But he's like the leading expert on happiness and contentment. And he spent his life studying what makes us happy as human beings. 
And he writes a lot about, he puts these two words together, I love it. He writes a lot about what's called the happy paradox. The happy paradox. It's the irony of happiness. And again, I think joy is a better word. Happiness can be shallow. But you know what it's like to live or not with a deep-seated contentment. He does a lot of work on this. And, and we tend to think, come on, you know you do. And I will admit, I, I have this tendency if I'm not careful. We have a tendency to think that we will be more happy, hello, if we focus on ourselves. You know we do. Focus on ourselves. We just intuitively assume if I have more of X, I will be more happy. If I have more of blank, all right, take a moment, fill in the blank for you. If I had more of blank, I would just be happier. If I had more money, I'd be happier. More time, more chocolate, <laughs> more coffee. If I preach, if I just had more pleasure, if I just had, whatever it is, if I just had more of this, then I'd be more happy. Come on, that's how we tend to think. So, so Dr. Seligman says this, it turns out that more, I love this, pay attention, more is always a moving target. We always think we'll be happy if we have more. But more is always like, have you noticed this? Like 10% away from whatever we have in the moment. And he calls this the happiness paradox. And he did this, this research where he studied this for quite some time and he got two groups of people together. And he had one group actually do a very selfish act. He told this group of people, whatever it is that will, will make you feel better or at least you think, and it's about you, the kingdom of you, you do that. And so they went about that. And I don't know what you would do. What would you do? Hey, hey, whatever you think will make you happy, go do that today. Maybe you'll go get ice cream. Maybe you'll go eat at Cheesecake Factory. Maybe you'll have some sushi. Maybe you'll go take a nap. Naps are of God. And I've been up since 3.30. No lie, I will be sleeping today. Whatever it is that makes you happy. He said, go do that. Do a selfish act. Then the other group, he said, don't do a selfish act. I want you to do purely an altruistic act for somebody else. And so these two experiment groups, they did exactly that. And he said this. He said the results were life-changing. The afterglow of the pleasurable or selfish activity, buying something in a store, ordering something online, watching a movie, eating a hot fudge sundae, whatever it is, <laughs> paled in comparison with the effects of one selfless act for someone else. Now, some of you have already discovered that in life. In other words, I could give the microphone to 20 of you that just went to the Dominican Republic on a missions trip, and we will tell you that nothing has filled us with as much joy as serving other people. And some of you have experienced it, not necessarily on the mission field, but just in life. And yet there is this gravitational pull. I think it's part of the human nature, the fallen condition. There is this gravitational pull to focus on self. And come on, this is not just counterintuitive. Hello, this is countercultural. Like everything in our culture is trying to get you to focus on self. 
I read something this week that said, the normal human being, the average human being experiences 5,000 ads a day. Now, I don't know what you're thinking right now, but like when I read that, I'm like, no way. I, there's no way I take in 5,000 ads a day. But I'm not maybe your typical person. There's a lot. Some of you stay on your screens all day long, TV, phone, whatever the case may be, riding down the road, billboards, going into stores, retail therapy, whatever the case may be. There are ads bombarding us every single day, trying to convince us to focus on self. And again, Jesus comes along and he shows us a different and a better way. To live life with a zoom lens, to be able to develop the discipline of cropping everything else out except the person who is right in front of you that has a need. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Now, in Luke chapter 15, there is this popular parable that I would probably admit in front of you that it's probably my most uh, popular parable. It's the one I like the most. I've preached on it many times in this church. We're not talking about that today. I'm talking about the parable of the prodigal son. We're not talking about that. That's later in Luke's gospel. If you go to Luke 15, one though, we're going to read a parable about a lost sheep. A parable about what? A lost sheep. <laughs> and and uh, there's three parables in Luke 15. There's a lost sheep there's a lost coin, and there's a lost son. There's a rhythm to Luke chapter 15, and I wanna give you the cliff notes in the very beginning. Here, here's, here's the rhythm that you see. Jesus sees, Jesus saves, and Jesus celebrates one at a time. I'm wondering if you can say that with me really strong. Ready, go. Jesus sees, Jesus saves, and Jesus celebrates one at a time. You are amazing. In Luke 15, verse one, look at what the Bible says here. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear Jesus. Who? The tax, not, not Jesus. <laughs> I know he's the right answer 99.9% .9 of the time, but I'm talking about the tax collectors and the sinners. Now who, who was gathered around Jesus? the tax collectors and the sinners. In other words, this is not your typical church crowd. This is not religious people. These are the people that religious people tend to stiff arm. These are the people that, that churches have, have notoriously, unfortunately, shunned and told people to stay away from this church. Clean up your act before you come up in here. Don't you come in here looking like that, smelling like that, having done that. And Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners. In other words, come on, read this with me out loud as well. You're, you're really with me today. Look at this next one. Ready? This is going to get there, I promise you. Go. <laughs> Jesus had a way of zooming in on the very people the religious community cropped out. Now, now the tax collectors and the sinners, like, Back then, it's a lot like it is today. Who likes a tax collector? They a bunch of sinners, if you ask me. Every April 15th, I gotta confess my sin and my, my judgment of them. Are you with me? Now, by the way, if you're a tax collector up in here, we love you. We so glad you up in here. Come on, we love you. We love you. 
But, but, tax, <laughs> but the tax collectors, they worked for Roman occupation. They made their living by stealing and cheating from people. Nobody liked the tax collectors. And you remember who the chief tax collector was? You remember this? He was a wee little man, remember? Remember? Y'all learned that in, in vacation Bible school? Zacchaeus was a, and a wee little man was he. What? I didn't grow up in the church, so I can't even remember the rest of it. Somebody jumped up in a tree, a sycamore tree. Well, so, this, so remember that? Now we're in Luke 15, but check it out. You can look at this later. In Luke 19, Jesus is walking through the town. And Jesus, because he was a what? Wee little man. Jesus, wee little man couldn't see. Remember what wee little man did? Wee little man jumped up in a tree. And Jesus is walking through. And what is Jesus? Jesus yo. No, he didn't say yo. But Jesus said, yo, Zacchaeus, come on now. I want to hang at your crib tonight. Remember this? Remember this? Look at what it says here. Luke 15. Look at what it says here. Luke 19, 5, I mean. Ready? Go. Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. This was the Mac Daddy of tax collectors. The one that people couldn't stand. Jesus, what does he do? Crops everybody else out. Zooms in on Zacchaeus. Not, not just, yo, what's up, Zacchaeus? Yo, I want to go to your house and I want to leave the crowd to hang out with you. It's the way of Jesus, church. And we are his body. It's got to become the way of us. I've been praying all summer for this series that God would break our hearts for the things that break his heart. That God would give us eyes to see people as God sees them. Now look at verse two. We're just gonna keep going back to the text. Luke 15, two. By the way, I haven't said this in a while. Bring your Bibles to church. You, they really match our decor nicely. Just bring, bring your, now I know you can do your, your, your Bible on your phone, but I, I, call me old school if you want. I still think there's something to be said for bringing the word of God to church. They, they didn't realize that in Luke 19, 10, after that Zacchaeus text, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. They didn't, they didn't realize that Jesus said in Luke 5, 31, that, that it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Hello, it's the sick. They didn't realize that. Look at, back to Luke 15, 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, what's that next word? Muttered. I love that word. Parents, if you got some kids that complain all the time, you need to tell them to hush their muttering mouth up. Don't be muttering to your parents. Respect your parents. I love you. I'm glad you're here. But, but y'all know, y'all ever been around muttering people? People mutter. They just complaining. They just negative. They just Eeyore, sky is falling kind of people, chicken little, you know what I'm saying? They're muttering about Jesus. They're muttering about his zoom lens way of living. This man, I love this, I love this. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man does what? Welcomes. Now the word welcome, is, is, uh, in, in our language, it doesn't quite capture it. If you study the original language in the Greek, welcome, it's, it's an open-armed embrace. It's like, it's like if you've been away from a family member for a long time, one that you like, and, and, 
<laughs> you know you got some crazy uncle or something in your family. You, you, you get with somebody that you've missed and you love, it's that kind of welcome. It's an open-armed embrace that you're gonna hug this person. So the Bible says in Luke 15 too, this man, i.e. Jesus, welcomes sinners and eats with them. I love that. You see, you see, Jesus didn't just see a tax collector. Jesus zoomed in. He said, that's my son. Jesus didn't see a prostitute, John chapter eight. Jesus cropped the religious ones. They were trying to stone her to death. Jesus cropped them out. And he said, this is my daughter. I love passages of scripture in the, the New Testament where Jesus and the Bible refers to God's children as their sons and their daughters. Last week, um, in a very emotional moment, if you were here at the end of the celebration, I just asked for a moment of personal time. I told you I've never done this. We, this is the fourth kid we've sent off to college and I've never done this. But last week, I, I had Caleb here and I asked you to pray over my son and everybody extended their hands over Caleb. And you guys blew my phone up this week. I heard so many comments. You guys telling me that was like one of the most meaningful experiences you've seen here in a while. And like, it always surprises me what touches you. And that touched me, that that was, that was meaningful to you last week. So we moved him in, we moved him in on Friday. And um, I guess, cause it's our fourth, we got this bad boy down. Like we, we, we drove up there, so two and a half hour drive, Wingate University on the other side of Charlotte. And we, we moved him in in 45 minutes. And then we took another 45 minutes to an hour to organize all this stuff. And then there's always something, you know, you forgot. So then we went to like a little store and bought an extension cord and a few other things. But, but we, we were done by like 3.30, which was really good because he had a, a football team meeting and, and their first dinner together that evening. And so I got in the car and I rode away from, from Wingate University. And you ever get in a car where, like, I don't know if you listen to much music. I'm always either rocking out to some music or worshiping or listening to a podcast. But you ever just ride down the road where what you really need is silence? I didn't even realize it, but like an hour and a half into the ride, I realized that it had been complete silence. And I started kind of thinking about all the things I had thought about for that last hour and a half. And what I thought about was, is he okay? Does he have what he needs? Check. Is his tuition paid? Check. Books? Check. Does he have insurance? Check. Was his oil changed in his car recently? And did we have the right tire pressure? Check, check, check. Now, now here, why was I doing that? Because that's my boy, right? That's my son. That's why I was doing that. that. That's how God is on a grander scale. God loves his children. God loves his sons. God loves his daughters. And he always is willing to zoom in on you or someone that you encounter that has a genuine need. That's who our God is. Look at what St. Augustine said. Now, I know some of you might like to call him Augustine, St. Augustine. It doesn't matter. You can call him St. Augustine. You can call him St. Augustine, pecans, pecans, tomato, tomato. It doesn't matter. St. Augustine says this. Watch this. God loves each of us as if there were only one of us. What a quote. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that about you? Sometimes it's easier to believe this kind of stuff about other people. But God loves you as if you were the only one. Do you, do you believe that? That's what Jesus does. That's how we become the church that has the heart of Jesus. He wants his people to have an eye for one at a time. Luke 15, 3, 4a. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? What would you do? If you had a hundred sheep, come on, and one of them got lost. Like, I'm not a farmer. I'm a hunter, I'm a fisherman, but I'm not a farmer. To me, if I had two sheep, that's a lot. You know what I'm saying? If I had two and I lost one, that's a different story. You know what I'm saying? It's pretty obvious. But if I had a hundred sheep and one of them wandered off, bye-bye. Am I the only one? You know what I'm saying? Like, dude. And, and here's what's interesting. In that day and age, a large herd of sheep, a large herd of sheep were like 20 and 30. So Jesus is telling a parable. Jesus like almost quadruples that. He says, suppose you had a hundred and one wandered off. What would you do? What would you do? Jesus says that I would go after the one. I would find it. And watch this, verse five through six A. And when he finds it, <laughs> he joyfully throws that bad boy over his shoulder and he goes home. Now watch this, I love this. Luke 15, six. Then he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. This is the way of Jesus. This is what I've been praying that we would be reminded of. This is who we are as a church. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Verse seven, let's read this one out loud. Go, I tell you, that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Somebody asked me recently, how in the world do you think God's gonna grow the church, not New Hope, the church universal, out of the last couple years that we've all experienced as a human race? That's a great question. And without even blinking, I said, he's gonna do it just like he's always done it. One person at a time. One person at a time. There's this guy on TikTok. And um, he, he's become TikTok famous. But he has not always been that way. His name is Devin Rodriguez. And maybe you've stumbled upon this guy. I'm sure those of you who are on TikTok will later today. Devin Rodriguez would get on the subway in New York City. And he would sit across from people. If you've ever been on the subway, you know what that's like. You, people usually all up in your grill. But, but he would sit across. He would always draw somebody who was across from him. He would sketch them out. And he did this for a long time. And he would post them online. 
He never got any traction. It didn't get popular at all until, until he started giving them the picture. Check this out. Wait for her reaction. Excuse me, miss. I drew you. I drew you. I love your curls. <laughs> What's your name? Nice to meet you. I'm Devon. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Now why'd she respond like that? Because there's something profoundly powerful about knowing that you have been seen. I guarantee you, I could sit down with every single one of you and you could tell me about a time in your life where you felt seen. Somebody saw you. They recognized you. And I guarantee you, every single person here could sit down with me and tell me about a time when you felt invisible, like you weren't seen. And that's a bad, bad feeling. One nurse that he drew said this, there are 10 million people in this city, but there's something emotional about being seen. You wanna see one more? Oh, I knew you would. There you go. for his reaction. Excuse me, sir. I drew you. I drew you. Yo, I love your mohawk, man. It's sick. Your mohawk is so sick, man. Yo, what's your name? Gion. Yo, I love your whole style, bro. Uh, have, have a good day, man. Now, some of you found that one harder to celebrate. Oh, I'm gonna go there. You found that one harder to celebrate because of the rainbow colors. And I just want to remind you that we are a church where it doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter your sexual orientation. It doesn't matter what you've been doing or what you haven't been doing. That's not my job to clean you up. My job is to love you any way I possibly can. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna love you. What so many people in the church are still failing to realize, because I, I, know, I know you. Some of you are like, yeah, but what about this? And what about that? And some of you know the word. What about this scripture? What about that scripture? I'm not discounting any of that. Please don't mishear me. 
What some of you have not fully embraced yet, maybe today is your day. You can love someone, like for real love someone, and care for them, and serve them, and embrace them without condoning their lifestyle. We gotta get that right, church. This is, this is why the religious people got on Jesus' last nerve. And if you're sitting there and you're pushing back on me right now and you didn't like that video, listen, I love you, sir. I love you, man. You are way too religious and not following the way of Jesus. This world is slipping on all kinds of moral slippery slopes. Again, don't mishear me. But as the world slips on moral slippery slopes, it's our job as Jesus followers to love them and embrace them and welcome them to the house of God. Because mean-spirited religiosity, mean-spirited judgmentalism has never, never turned anybody to God. The Bible says it is your kindness that leads me to repentance. We zoom in and regardless of anything, we love people and we are his body. So we represent Christ to the world. You know, I don't, you know, we're talking about, Jesus tells this parable about lost sheep. I don't, I don't know if you, you, you're aware of this or not, but throughout the Bible, we're, we're likened to sheep. Did you know this? Did you know this? Sheep are dumb. <laughs> like, I'm not making that up. It's been shown, sheep are, sheep are some of the dumbest animals on planet Earth. They, they, they dumb. They capital D dumb. But, but like, it's humbling, like, right? I, I, I've got where I don't mind being likened to a sheep because I know I'm dumb at times, right? And so I don't mind that. Um, they, they, they're dumb, and this is why we need this word that reminds us that we're supposed to be different. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. There's a lot, of, there's way too much hatred in the world today. There's way too much anger in the world today. There's way too much volatility in the world today. What the world desperately needs is Jesus followers who will love people and serve people and welcome people. But sheep, sheep are dumb, man. Um, in 2005, you can, go, you can go Google this if you think, it's gonna sound like I'm making this up. It's not. In 2005, in Turkey, there were 1,500 sheep and, and they, were on the, they were on the mountain. And the, and the shepherds that were, were kind of watching the sheep, they decided it was breakfast time. And so they sat down to have breakfast. And the sheep were kind of, they were grazing. And one sheep grazed a little too far and, and fell off the cliff. Bye-bye, sheep. But check this out. Again, I'm not making this up. As, as, as the shepherds enjoyed their breakfast, the sheep kept falling off of the cliff, one at a time. Google it, all 1,500. I don't know if there was fog or what, I'm trying to make sense of it, but it's a true story. All 1,500 <laughs> fell off the cliff. Now here's the good news, you ready for the good news? Only 500 of them died. I guess there was a pillow effect after a while. 
You know what I'm saying? Boing. There's a pillow fell. <laughs> Only 500 of them died. But if we are not careful, we will follow the masses. We'll let our appetites cause us to fall off the cliff of what it looks like to be the church of Jesus Christ. We are to love people. We are to serve people. We are to be a church that spreads wide our arms and welcomes people into the house of God. And it is my unbelievable privilege to remind you today, not only is that who you are, but if you're the one, he sees you. If you've been here and you've, you know, you've been enjoying this, you're kind of laughing, you're getting into it and all that kind of stuff, but the truth is, when you go get in your car, there's a loneliness that you can't even begin to really put your finger on and articulate. Maybe you're here today and the pain that you feel in your life right now is immeasurably more than you could articulate and you don't know how to deal with it. Maybe you're here and you look at how much this world has changed in the last couple of years and you don't even feel like you recognize this country anymore. And you don't know what way is up or down. And that lyric that I mentioned in the beginning of the message today, I'm not enough. God, I can't, I can't do this without you. So you don't want to miss a single Sunday of this series because every Sunday we're going to be looking at some, some real practical ways that we can love people one at a time. But on this first week, I, I just wanted to steer you in that direction, but I wanted to pause here at the end to say to you, hey, if you're that one, God sees you. He sees you. He loves you. You are a son or a daughter of the Most High God. And he will crop everything else out to zoom in on you, to love you, to adopt you as his child, to put your feet on solid ground, to take you when you don't know what way is up or down or left or right and will instruct you and guide you. I want to share one final story. John, that's beautiful. That's good because it needs to be. This is, this is a beautiful story. There was once a guy. His name is Moses. You can read about it later in Exodus 3 if you'd like. But Moses, Moses is kind of 
intimidated about the call of God that's upon his life. And, and he says to God, God, who should I tell them sends me? Some of you remember that passage. And God says, God says, tell them I am. Translation, I am who I am. I am God, right? But here's what's fascinating about this. The ancient Hebrew manuscripts, when you study them closely, a more faithful translation would be Y-H-W-H. Y-H-W-H. Those letters are what we might call an aspirated consonant sound. In other words, there are no vowels in that. Y-H-W-H. Now stick with me here for a moment because this is really, really cool. This Y-H-W-H is a breathing sound. It implies a, a breathing sound. It's, it's the Y-H, inhale. W-H is the exhale. This is so cool. In other words, the act of breathing utters the name of God. Like right now, as you're breathing. Just pay attention to your breathing for a moment. The act of breathing, the mechanistic act of sustaining your life in your very core essence is breathing in and breathing out the presence of God. Now, if you put the vowels in, which you know we've done in the Hebrew text, and we sing great songs about this, Pastor John. You put the vowels in, you have the word Yahweh. But when ancient Israel recorded this, it was Y-H, W-H, out. From the moment life begins as a baby, from the moment your mother gave birth to you, and in the old days, they don't do this anymore, but in the old days, they'd hang your butt up by your feet and slap you. And from the moment you took your first breath to the great moments in your life when you're laughing so hard you can't catch your breath, to the moment you will be on a deathbed somewhere and you take your last breath, God is as close to you as the very air you breathe. And he loves you and he sees you and he's speaking to your heart right now. You're not here by coincidence. You are here because God is calling you to a next level of intimacy in your relationship with his son, Jesus. So right now in this very moment, he wants to crop everything out and focus in on you, wherever you are, within the sound of my voice in this room or online. He wants you.
What a sacred moment. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for your sons and daughters, for my sisters and brothers, those here and those online who you love and you have shown your love to today, that you will recklessly leave 99 to save one. God, you've done it for so many of us, but I can't help but imagine there are people in this room or online and God like the sheep that wandered off maybe just our appetites have taken us off you're calling us home you're calling us back in the fold so if you're here today and you sense that and you won't ignore that with all heads bowed and eyes closed, if you feel God calling you back home, I wanna ask you right now just to raise your hand right where you are. Just, just lift up your hand. Lift it up. Yeah, I see you guys back here. All heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I see a student here. Praise God. Let's just lift your hand up. I wanna pray for you. Be bold. Look at me if you don't mind. I wanna see you. Everybody else has got their heads bowed, eyes closed. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I, I see you. Back in the back. Praise God for you, man. I see you in the balcony. Yes, yes, yes. Say, Lord Jesus, just in your heart, say, Lord Jesus, I hear your voice. I sense your love. And I'm coming home. Come into my life, Lord Jesus, today. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Keep me in the fold, Lord God. Forgive me of my sin my appetites of sin, my sins in action, my sins in thought. Forgive me. Help me follow you all the days of my life. I thank you for your word. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for calling me home. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Yes, yeah, celebrate them, church. Yeah, celebrate them, church.